Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Believe in Jags podcast. And I know right now you guys are probably already alarmed uh, from the simple aspect of just hearing my voice to start off the podcast. Normally, it's the other way around with Phil starting off the podcast. But uh, for those of you who have uh, checked out our Twitter handles or have been on Twitter, I know a lot of y'all are busy just like us. And sometimes you don't even get to go on social like that. But as Phil informed everybody yesterday, you know, he hasn't been feeling the best. So I was going to be taking on this morning's episode, Solo Dolo, uh, which is completely fine by me. Uh, get well soon, Phil. And uh, that being said, this one is going to be me, myself, and I. We also weren't able to secure a guest to talk on the Colts as well. So that being said, uh, this one is just going to be a long one of just hearing my voice, I hope y'all can tolerate me for, what, 45 minutes to an hour. Uh, but nonetheless, we're going to make it fun or I'm going to make it fun for you all. Going to try some different things, which I'll get into uh, in a minute. Uh, but mostly this is going to be more so reviewing, of course, the last game that we had, which was a victory to the Buffalo Bills, more so than, uh, you know, getting some insight on the Indianapolis Colts, because as I said, we weren't able to secure a guest but the Jacksonville Jaguars were able to secure a win this week a stunning surprising win and by the standards of the spread uh, this is the biggest upset in team history according to ESPN stats and info uh, the Jaguars according to them now the lines I saw had the Jaguars as 14.5 point underdogs but uh, it might it, it may have been some and you know ESPN is accurate so we can't doubt them. Um, there were some lines out there, I guess, according to ESPN stats and info that had the Jaguars as 15.5 point underdogs, if I'm not mistaken. And again, that makes them the biggest uh, or that makes Sunday's game week nine's game against the Buffalo Bills as they came into town. Uh, that makes the game the biggest upset in team history since. I believe it was that Denver Broncos game, that legendary Denver Broncos game that the Jacksonville Jaguars had in the playoffs uh, where they defeated John Elway and company. We all know which game I'm referring to. Uh, so since that game, at least, if I'm not mistaken, um, according to ESPN stats and info, because I can't get my page to low right now. But if I can recall, that was the game that uh, the Jaguars were the biggest underdogs or they, they had the biggest underdog margin by uh before sunday's game so yeah we're going to talk about the ins and outs of the jacksonville jaguars nine to six win a game that i would probably say that none of us saw the jacksonville jaguars winning we were just hoping at least the fans that live in jacksonville and have season tickets or got just regular tickets or or receive regular tickets whatever the case may be they were just hoping to go to a game 
where the Jaguars were competitive and looked better than they did against Seattle. And boy, were they in for a surprise in terms of the result as uh, that defense held up well for the Jacksonville Jaguars and the Buffalo Bills defense wasn't too bad um, on their end as well. Obviously, nine points was only scored in this game. So we'll talk about that. Uh, but before we get into the game itself, and again, like I said, um, we're going to be trying some different things. I'll probably go through the box scores, uh, but I more so may lean towards just basically talking about what I wrote down in my notes in terms of my evaluations of the game. I will see. We'll see when we get to that point, the review point. And then after that, we're for sure going to try something different afterwards in terms of um, just replacing what we would normally have the guests to do. And let's talk about uh, the Indianapolis Colts and, you know, give us some intel on them. Instead, what we're going to do is we're going to do the good, bad and ugly takeaways uh, from the game in itself, from uh, the, the victory, should I say, for the Jacksonville Jaguars. And then maybe towards the end of that, you know, I might talk on the Bills a little bit or excuse me, I might talk on the Colts uh, a little bit, touch on them a little bit. I will see how time is running uh, in terms of, you know, after I'm done with the segment that I just previously mentioned. Now, before we get to all of that, of course, we have to pay the bills and we have a message from our sponsors. Of course, that's betonline.ag, who are back and better than ever. As you all know, this is now basketball season. The basketball season kicked off. Uh, as you all know, I'm a Hawks fan and Phil is a Mavs fan. And that being said, you know, it's going to be an exciting season for the two of us. You know, two promising young teams. We'll see where they can go. The Hawks almost went to the finals last year. But I digress from my point. Uh, but nonetheless, BetOnline has a new web interface for the basketball season and more props, odds, and lines than ever before. BetOnline remains your number one spot, as always, for the basketball and football season when it comes to putting out those bets and maybe raking in you some money. That being said, head on over to the new updated desktop or mobile website to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus as always on your first deposit. Just use our promo code and you've heard us mention that many, many times on this podcast. That is Believe 50 to receive your bonus. So again, from baseball, football to NHL and boxing and UFC or whatever the case may be, even your favorite Vegas casino games. Don't wait to take advantage of all of the amazing offers that are available for the 2021 season. And by the way, now that I've read that off, need I remind you, don't forget to also head over there and check out the fight odds. By the way, we all heard about the Darren Williams and Frank Gore matchup that's going to occur, boxing matchup that is. Uh, as we all know, Darren Williams former NBA player Frank Gore, former NFL great. I think he's officially not retired yet and could still technically get back in the game, kind of like Adrian Peterson. But Frank Gore apparently trains for boxing uh, often, will try his hand in the boxing realm. Right now he's not the favorite, as crazy as that sound. We all seen how monstrous uh, Frank Gore has looked on the field, but he is a plus 200 on the line and then they also had Darren Williams as the favorite of course uh he has a minus 250 figure on the line so if you want to go and check that out and you know put some money towards that that's going to be on showtime feel free to check that out and I know also as I mentioned basketball is popping right now so I know the MVP odds are something that you know people want to put money on at this time of the year as well right now the person leading that of course is Stephen Curry 
Uh, no shocker there, right? Uh, he is a plus 200 favorite on the line. And then not too far behind him, you have Giannis, who is a plus 650. So, yeah, it's a little different. It's a little bit of distance there, should I say. Uh, Cameron Durant, same figure as Giannis. Uh, Luka Doncic, uh, plus 800. Many, many more people on the line. You can put some money towards if you want to do that. Uh, but as always, you know, Bet Online has you guys covered in terms of whatever you want to bet on, pretty much in terms of your sports odds. Go feel free to check that out. Bet Online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on your favorite sports, period, point blank. Bet Online, where the game starts. So, with that out of the way, let's take a look at Sunday's game where the Jacksonville Jaguars probably acquired the upset victory of the year in terms of the NFL and uh, you know what like it's kind of disappointing that people aren't talking about it they have more so made the narrative hey the Bills screwed this up uh no way they should have lost that match they're more so talking about the Bills than the Jaguars and you know I feel like you know that that's kind of messed up but I'm not surprised at the same time and also I'm not necessarily disappointed because that's just that's just kind of what we've grown accustomed to whatever the case may be uh, you know, they're more so, t- uh, more so talking about the quarterback, Josh Allen, and his struggles on the game. They're more so talking about how there was a lack of weapons, uh, you know, around him, which it is. And we knew that coming into the game, kind of. Uh, but nonetheless, for some reason, we all thought that, uh, you know, the Jaguars uh, wouldn't be able to handle it. But they shocked us. So, anyway, just going to read off the box score stats here. Trevor Lawrence who, as we all saw, you know, got injured in the second quarter. All of us were holding our breath and a little concerned there. Nonetheless, he comes back a few plays later, starts running up and down the sideline, trying to check into the game a little early. But Urban Meyer kind of, you know, had to tell him. He said this in the press conference, like, hey, hey, hold on. Let CJ finish this drive or what have you, or, or let's wait to the next timeout or whatever the case may be. But he returned, thankfully, and a lot of people were relieved as a result, including myself. Just imagine, man, it would just be hard to have to go any amount of games without Trevor Lawrence in terms of, you know, what the fans have to uh, to look forward to watching, you know, the, the reason why fans are showing up and the reason people are excited about this season. But he was 15 of 26, not his best day. Uh, this is the second straight game that he hasn't completed more than 593 uh, in terms of his completion rate. So some concerns there we'll see. Uh, you know, if he can get back to the play we saw against the Bengals and, you know, the the few games after that, which I have confidence that he will uh, personally. You know, I'm not concerned about Trevor Lawrence because I've said this in like many, many podcasts. This podcast included other people's podcasts. Every time he sees adversity or every time, you know, he he's on a decline, he always picks himself back up and gets where he needs to get. I mean, that's just like his number one trait. It's just to dig himself out of a hole and make the corrections that need to be made so anyway he finished with 118 yards uh he didn't throw any interceptions that's good also didn't throw any touchdowns as well which we already discussed the score was nine that was three field goals from Matthew Wright uh he was sacked twice so I mean not too bad there uh but a QBR of 37.0 and a passer rating of 69.1 so not his best day, but look, we got the victory. I don't think anybody's complaining. C.J. Bathard came in for him for a few plays. Uh, he was perfect. Uh, I think he had like a 90-plus score on PFF, even though he wasn't in, but for a few plays. But uh, he was two of two in his two passing attempts. Uh, that Those went for 33 yards, so he had a great day. Of course, his QBR, 93.1. 
And then also in terms of the rating, uh, 118.8. So, you know, he had a fantastic day. Uh, if you, if you go by the standards of just a little bit of time that he was on the field, which I mean, I guess like that's good to see, albeit that rainbow throw to, uh, the tight end, Dan Arnold, uh, stood in the air or is stuck in the air a little too long. That's what you like to see because you, you know, like in the little time he was there, like, you know, you're, you're always curious of, you know, what the Jags have behind Trevor Lawrence. And we kind of knew a little bit, but at the same time, we only knew because of the preseason and, and, Bathar was going against people, uh, you know, second, third, fourth stringers, you know. So it's only so much you can tell by that. So anyway, continuing on the offense, Carlos highlighted the way in terms of rushing the ball. He had 21 carries for 67 yards, no touchdowns. Uh, he was good for an average of 3.2. He also had that crucial fumble as the team was driving. That actually happened, I think, in the play exactly where Trevor Lawrence returned, like the one that he came back from his ankle injury. But nonetheless, ultimately, no harm was done. Uh, the Bills didn't get any points off of that. Uh, but I guess the the hard part about that is that stopped the drive that the Jaguars could have got points from. And then, as I mentioned, in terms of receiving, guess who led the way? The guy that I just mentioned, Dan Arnold. Uh, four catches for 60 yards. That's like his thing. Like that 60-yard threshold is like literally where he ends up every game, which is good. I mean, like if you do the math, it's 10 games left, right? If I can recall, I might be off him. It might be nine, but I think it's 10 games left. If he continues this this 60 yards per game path, you know, you're looking at 600 yards plus what he already has. So by all standards, that would be a good season for a tight end, and, and that would really, really uh, be very good in terms of, you know, the Jaguars getting some kind of return from giving away C.J. Henderson for this guy as well and I mean like we all we've said it before the struggles at tight end are something that have played the Jaguars for for for, uh, for many many years ever since Mercedes Lewis is you know basically days of youth basically uh, ever since you know he kind of hit that age of 30 and beyond the Jags have basically struggled at the position uh, behind him you know Jamal Agnew three catches for 27 yards uh, you know, he had a drop that, uh, you know, he didn't exactly use his hands to catch in and haul in, but it would have been a touchdown from C.J. Bathard. That would have even made C.J.'s uh, stats even better. Uh, but nonetheless, a missed opportunity there. We got to haul those in, man. Uh, LaVisca Chenault had four catches for 24 yards. Marvin Jones wasn't used as much as he normally is or wasn't as effective as he normally is. Three catches for 21 yards, and everybody else – had single-digit numbers in terms of receptions or receiving yards uh, below that. So with that being said, I'll just kind of turn to what few notes that I took on the offense. Of course, it wasn't a lot of notes to take on the offense because obviously they weren't very effective. And this team, quite frankly, I mean, we said it before, this team quite frankly needs James Robinson to get going, who, by the way, is on pace to return, according to Urban Meyer. He didn't practice yesterday, though. Uh, we'll see if he practices, uh, if he takes the field today, today as in Thursday morning, by the way. So this is me recording bright and early. And if it's a lot of mishaps and a lot of mistakes, I will blame it on that because I haven't had my coffee and I'm fresh up in the morning. Bandana still wrapped around my fro and all of that, like literally uh, trying to uh, record this one in the morning so we could get it out in the afternoon. And hopefully that's what happens here. But I digress from my point. James Robinson hopefully will be back. Uh, hopefully he'll take the field for um, – he, he had a lot of mental reps last week. Uh, well, all mental reps from how I gathered it. So this week, hopefully, maybe 
We'll see if he gets some actual a few physical reps. Um, at the same time, you don't want to push him. He's your best player on offense, and as we all say, he's the motor of this offense. He keeps the unit going. You don't want to lose him for the season. You got to be smart with him, which Urban Meyer has said they will do. Uh, but we'll see how his status ends up. You know, on Thursday and Friday, and you know, we'll see what his status is in terms of being marked questionable. Uh, probable whatever the case may be but he's trending in the right direction to return and that's good because they really need him desperately Trevor Lawrence needs him uh the passing game needs him you know pretty much everybody that's on offense could use this young man right about now but in terms of my notes on the offense as I turn the page here uh the now that I see it now I actually have the figure here by the way for CJ Bathard in terms of his PFF figure on his page here uh so 96.7 PFF grade you know for him and if he would have got the touchdown it would have been even higher than that again albeit he was only on a, the field for six snaps so uh you know take from that what you will uh also leading the way Chris Manhurts once again uh, this is a guy that, you know, he keeps making the list in terms of PFF, and Urban Meyer has stressed this, and, you know, I've, I've put this in my notes a few weeks now. It's his blocking ability, right? Uh, he had a pass blocking grade of 71.3 and then a run blocking grade of 75.1. So, you know, that's kind of his thing there. I think he even registered a reception for about 8 to 10 yards or something like that on the day. So he had that going in his favor. And then behind him, in terms of grades, there was Ben Bart, 77.5. Uh, he more so had a better run blocking grade and pass blocking grade, which was a 76.0 for the run blocking. And then he was just under 70 with a 67.1 in terms of pass blocking. But Ben Bart is a guy, I, I wrote about this on Twitter. I tweeted about it on Twitter. It looks like he's doing a very good job of securing that guard spot which was, you know, it was kind of relinquished because A.J. Cam sustained an injury. But A.J. Cam was on the last year of his deal anyway, and a lot of us weren't exactly high on him returning. But you never know with this Jaguars team. They they may have tried to re-sign him. But I think Ben Barch is doing a good job. This is the second time he's registered more than the 75, second consecutive week that he's registered more than the 75 on PFF. And, again, that's for people who believe in this stuff and whatnot. Me personally – I basically just go off of my mental notes and see if it matches up with, you know, if the, a player graded positively or whatever the case may be. And, yeah, like a lot of what I'm seeing with Ben Barch matches up with PFF and what the grades he's getting there. And I think, you know, this guy is really securing that right guard spot for A.J. Ken. And believe it or not, that's huge because the Jaguars don't need to go into next season with additional needs, right? If there's somebody on the bench that could basically uh, address a need for them, that is good because the Jacksonville Jaguars are going to, and I've said this last week, they're going to head into next year with a lot of needs and they don't need any additional ones. So, I mean, just imagine, you know, albeit the free agency class was kind of looking okay at guard, but then again, the Browns re-signed Teller. So they took one guy off the market that happened this week. Uh, they kind of, I guess you could say, um, took some strength from that guard market. So maybe it's good that we continue to see Ben Bartsch, you know, strive. And let's hope that he continues this on uh, from this point on. Because, I mean, like, you know, you got a, a guy that was 
uh, drafted with a lot of high upside and a guy that, you know, Dave Caldwell drafted, but Dave Caldwell drafted probably to be a future starter. And he's reaching that level. And I think what it is with him is when you get more consistency and you get more reps on the field and you're not being taken off the field, you know, you're not starting the game here and then, uh, you know, AJ Cannes back for five and then you start in another one five games, uh, five games later. It's just kind of hard to get into a rhythm and get your technique right and this, that and the other and get a feel for what starters feel like. It's just hard to do uh, when you're in the game sporadically. And this is a grand opportunity for him to see consistent time on the field. He's taking advantage of that. And, uh, you know, I think when it's all said and done, he's probably going to be. Uh, 2022 starting right guard for this team. And maybe you bring Andrew Norwell back because he's really the the best offensive lineman in, in terms of this year on the field because Brandon Linder has been out. And Andrew Norwell has been solid as well, uh, especially, uh, you know, his run blocking grade, if I can recall, is a 79.7. So he's been okay there. I, I've seen him get stood up a few times, but uh, that kind of matches what I've seen on the film in terms of that. And it looks like, you know, Maybe, this, you know, they would have to extend Norwell, of course, or they would have to give him a new contract. But it looks like the Jaguars may have their two guards of the future. So, you know, that was one thing I wrote in my notes that I took away from this game. Uh, the When running behind the guards, you know, the running backs are having a lot of success. I've noticed that. And, uh, you know, if it's, it's the old case of if it isn't broke, um, then don't fix it, right? So that being said, under him in terms of Ben Barch on PFF, uh, Dan Arnold had a 74.4. Let's talk about this guy. I got some notes on him too, man. He is, you know, a guy that he he, he seems to get, like the, the way the Jaguars are using him is on a lot of one routes. And that for those of you who aren't familiar with the, the route tree, uh, the one route is, you know, that's a route into the flats a short route into the flats, basically. That's a lot of what they're using him for, getting him out into the flats in the opening, and then he'll turn it up field, and they'll rely on his after-the-catch ability. And it's crazy to think, like, right, that this guy was just on the Cardinals, or excuse me, the Carolina Panthers staff. He was with the Cardinals, by the way, if I can recall, too, though. Uh, he was on the Carolina Panthers staff behind, you know, Tremble and maybe another guy, maybe. Who knows? But uh, what a what a pickup by this uh, front office. And then under him, a guy I just mentioned, don't really have to talk about him much because I've already talked about him, Andrew Norwell with a 72.9. Uh, he was more so better, kind of like Barch as a run blocker, had a 79.7 there. And I think Andrew Norwell's overall grade on PFF, let me check that out real quick, is, yeah, he's at a 75 right now. And then as a pass blocker, he's at an 82.7. That's good for Trevor Lawrence. And then, you know, as a run blocker, he's in a positive 73.7. So, again, man, this guy's made a case to stick around. I mean, the, again, the guard class was kind of looking okay in terms of free agency. Uh, but, you know, if you don't want to go that route, and, and, you know, Andrew Norrell's over the age of 30, he'll give you a cheaper route. Maybe he wants to come back. Maybe you give him cheap extension, uh, a cheap extension or whatever the case may be. But, uh, you know, that's something that we'll have to address down the road as he is on the last year of his deal. And then another guy uh, under him, and I'll just go into just this one guy that graded under uh, 60 or under 70, and that's Walker Little, who had to come into the game, ladies and gentlemen, unknowingly. You know, he he wasn't he didn't come to the stadium expecting to start. Uh, then he gets into warm-ups, 
and Cam Robinson's back tightens up. And by the way, Urban Meyer says Cam Robinson will be back. So that's good. He's working on his way back. He was limited yesterday with Trevor Lawrence. Both of them were limited. That's a good sign. Um, we'll see. Uh, it's not structural, according to Urban Meyer. It's muscular. So his back situation uh, is one that should improve over the week, at least we hope. And then, you know, we'll have him back at the left tackle position. But Walker Little had to basically, we'll say about, what, 20 minutes or so maybe or 30 minutes or so. Uh, before the game starts, whatever the case may be, Walker Little has to be informed that he's starting at the left tackle position, protecting Trevor Lawrence's blind side against the number one defense in football. That's crazy in itself. And, yeah, I know a lot of people will say, like, well, hey, like, he was the guy that got backed into Trevor Lawrence or bull rushed into Trevor Lawrence when he hurt his ankle or whatever the case may be. But, I mean, we literally see that, like, you know, we literally see the – left tackle get backed into quarterbacks. And and it wasn't like he was flat out just thrown into Trevor Lawrence or he was just flat out taken off his feet. But we see those kind of encounters all the time where the left tackle just kind of bumps the quarterback and there's no harm done. But this time, unfortunately, there was harm done. And, you know, that sometimes, you know, that can make you a little upset with the player that bumped into him or whatever the case may be. But that literally happens every game. But when all things considered – and just having to be thrust into the lineup against the number one defense in football, arguably, according to most. I mean, Walker Little, for the most part, he gave up. He did give up a sack. But for that to be his first game, I mean, it, there was some promise there. You know, and, you know, they, he even, I think if I can recall, I'll have to look back up on that on PFF. I'll have to pull up the page again. But he, he had a positive pass blocking grade for the most part. It might have been like a little bit over 70. So, um, you know, he was a guy that obviously, you know, more starting reps and more reps as a starter is going to help him. But that's kind of what you wanted to see. Right. And that's what kind of what we expected to see is Walker Little get in at least a game or two this year. Because I said this earlier in the year, Cam Robinson is a guy that has been known to miss two to three games a year, which opens up a window for Walker Little, uh, who who to me feels like a pure left tackle uh, I don't know how the team and the coaches feel about him. But if that's the case, he needs to see some reps this year if he's a pure left tackle. And that only uh, makes him eligible, really, to start on the blind side next year, which, you know, that kind of puts Cam Robinson's future up in there. And that's that's kind of crazy because Cam has been okay for the most part. So they have a problem there that they need to figure out, but it's a good problem that they need to figure out at a premium position left tackle protecting Trevor Lawrence's blind side. What do we do there next year? Do we re-sign Cam Robinson? Uh, do we try and move Walker Little somewhere else if we do that? What do we do there? And, um, you know, like, that's kind of like for a team as bad as the Jacksonville Jaguars that only has two wins, that's kind of a good problem to have. So, yeah, aside from that, really nothing to talk about in terms of the offense, you know, like you want to see – James Robinson back, you want to see Trevor Lawrence improve. I think both of those things should happen uh, this week. Um, The Colts defense not exactly that threatening as a passing defense. I think they're in the top. they actually like top 13 or something in terms of run defense. So they're along the lines of what the Jaguars are in terms of a run defense. So 
that could cause some problems for James Robinson. And, you know, that could also cause some problems when looking at the Jag side of things. You know, they can slow Jonathan Taylor as well on their end. But Sunday's game could very well come down to who has the most success against uh, these two top 15 type of uh, rushing defenses in terms of who has success, the most success, should I say, between Taylor and uh, who has the most success between James Robinson. That is, if he plays as we expect him to play. By the way, Jonathan Taylor, last time he faced the Jacksonville Jaguars, it wasn't pretty. It was not pretty. I think he had like 250 yards on the ground against him, if I can recall. Something ridiculous like that. But he just ran up and down the field on him. But, you know, that's, that's probably why we ain't we all remember the offseason. That's why the Jaguars dedicated so much time into at least making this defense a better run defense. Uh, because they saw some things on film that we all saw as well last year and were not impressed by it, right? So that being said, you know, they just kind of went in there and got a guy like Malcolm Brown and they got a guy like Roy Robinson Harris. And those guys are actually uh, coming into their own slowly but surely in terms of getting that push in the pocket too that Urban Meyer was talking about. And um, actually, while we at it, we'll just segue into the defense and transition into that end of the ball where – I mean, let's let's face it, man. That side of the ball held the Jaguars or kept the Jaguars in this game. And I am quite frankly shocked. I don't know if anybody picked up the USA Today Sports weekly paper this week, but in the or, or last week, should I say, for the Bills and the Jaguars game, uh, I put my I was assigned to write about it because it was a home game for the Jacksonville Jaguars. But you know, I put that, you know, I thought the secondary basically in a nutshell was going to get shredded. I was concerned for them. That was not the case. They stepped up big. And it was mostly because, of course, you know, they, they got some help from Josh Allen. And also they uh, they switched out Rudy Ford for Trey Herndon in the nickel. And Urban Meyer did say after, I think, in a press conference after that, you know, Trey Herndon – it's still not fully recovered from, I think it was the MCL injury that he had, which, uh, you know, he feels like he's not playing his best because of that. But Rudy Ford played lights out. We'll get into him in a minute. But before we do that, let's get into this box score in terms of what that looked like in terms of the figures there. As I mentioned, Josh Allen led the way, the good Josh Allen. Uh, this is the moment people have been waiting for for the longest since the Jags drafted Josh Allen to call our Josh Allen better than the other Josh Allen. And we got the opportunity to do that as he shut down somebody who's a front runner for the MVP uh, race right now in terms of Josh Allen. I think Josh Allen still is the front runner for the MVP race. Uh, and I think Tom Brady is a little bit behind him on that, even despite how he looked against the Jacksonville Jaguars. But Josh Allen led the way eight total tackles, eight of them, all of which were solo tackles, had a sack, made history with it. You know, the only player to sack a person with the first and same last name as him. I had two tackles for loss, had a pass deflection, had a quarterback. He, he was doing it all. And we said this before, Josh Allen is a guy that has been doing it all in terms of, you know, you'll see him contributing to run game every now and then. Uh, you'll see him dropping coverage. A lot of people are saying he's dropping in coverage too much, but I don't think so in my opinion. You know, I at least to me, I haven't seen him dropping coverage a crazy amount of times. It's nothing abnormal. Uh, but that's just that's my take on the matter. And we'll you know, we'll probably get back into more of him later. Uh, Rudy Ford, arguably the second best player on this defense on Sunday's game. Uh, he was behind Josh Allen in terms of tackles with eight as well. But he only had seven of which were solo. 
So I guess you can technically rank him under Josh Allen from that that standpoint. Damian Wilson had a better game in terms of, you know, his ability of playing his face and coverage a little bit, in my opinion. Uh, he looked a little better. Seven tackles. He was under Rudy Ford in terms of what he did. Uh, and also Miles Jack, also he had seven tackles as well. So those two middle linebackers, they, they hit the seven tackle mark. Tyson Campbell was behind them in terms of tackles with five. And I think, you know, according to PFF, he had a better day. I think he had around a 70 in terms of his grade, which was I think that's easily the best grade he's got or he's received from them. Uh, so a little bit of better day from him. And then everybody else pretty much had four tackles or less under that. We probably uh, shouldn't really dabble into the other people. But ultimately what this came down to is Josh Allen and Rudy Ford just playing out of their mind. And, you know, the Jaguars seem to have stumbled upon a gem in Ford in terms of, you know, finding the answer at nickel. Again, now, Trent Baalke has found some gems and he's found some decent players in free agency. He just hasn't found enough impact premium players in free agency. That's the deal. That's the issue. And when, you know, for a team that's lacking talent, like the Jacksonville Jaguars, he more so had a free agency that a team uh, along the lines of the Ravens needed to have, or a team along the lines of the Packers or the saints, you know, one of those free agencies where you get a few good contributors, you get a few good second tier contributors, to, you know, help out the elite talent that you already have. But, see, that's the thing. The Jacksonville Jaguars didn't need that kind of a free agency because they're nowhere near the top of the totem pole in terms of talent level in the NFL, right? They are one of the least talented teams in football, and they needed to be adding, you know, like five-star type players. Uh, but, nonetheless, you you know, give them credit where credit is due. They found a gym maybe possibly potentially – uh, and Rudy Ford, who, you know, me and Phil have been big fans of. You know, he was a guy we was like, why did they sign him at first? And he's really, really made plays throughout the season. Um, he, he plays downhill well. You can see the speed. Uh, he He's not afraid to hit you. I saw him deck, I don't know, I think it was Stefan Diggs or a receiver pretty hard. And it ended up not being a catch. It probably could have been ruled a catch if they would have challenged it, but they didn't. Uh, because he made the receiver made a football move, but nonetheless, like the, he came out of nowhere. Rudy Ford came out of nowhere like a heat-seeking missile, man. And this guy is, uh, you know, is a guy that maybe they could build with, and a guy they can move forward with. And then again, in terms of Josh Allen, he just was a guy that did it all, uh, and he just you could just see the relentlessness in his motor. I don't know if he was. I can't even say that because he's been playing this way for the last three, four, five games just lights out relentlessness. And that's not to say he wasn't relentless before, but he's just hit another gear. But Josh Allen, man, I don't know if it was because another Josh Allen was on the side of the field or whatever the case may be, but his efforts were outstanding. He was the AFC Defensive Player of the Week. He's really coming into his own in terms of being a top 10 pick for the Jacksonville Jaguars. And just imagine, as I said last week, man, if we could get somebody next to him, that's an A-plus type of starter, whoever that is, you know, like whatever the free agency class has to offer, which to me isn't all that strong defensively. So maybe you get somebody out of the draft, you know, that can you can pair with this young man. Maybe I threw this out there last week, a Jordan Davis, a pocket pusher like him from the University of Georgia whatever the case may be, you know, that, that, that Georgia defense has got some headhunters, man. N'Kobe Dean, one of those guys, you know, take one of those guys from that defense who looks like to 
who looks like they're on a, a path to be an elite defense in college football history, take one of those guys and pair with Josh Allen. But, you know, I'm just throwing it out there. I'm not a GM or a scout yet um, until they pay me or somebody calls me or hit me on my line or whatever the case may be. But I think in a nutshell, when I look at my notes here, uh, basically this was a, a very well-planned game by Joe Cullen, by the way, who is a guy that, you know, people have been kind of critical of and, you know, some people were wondering, hey, uh, should was it the right move for Urban Meyer to call in a first-year defensive coordinator with him being a first-year head coach himself? Um, and, you know, the Jacksonville Jaguars just looked lost, especially that last game is a prime example. Week one against the Texans, a prime example. Uh, a prime example. These guys couldn't even get uh, the right amount of people on the field at times. And then when the scheme is being ran or when they are running the scheme, you know, they're getting burned left and right in the secondary and they're missing sacks and this, that, and the other. They're missing all these opportunities. They just look lost in terms of coverage and schematics. They look underprepared at times, whatever the case may be. But, again, that was not the case in this Buffalo Bills game. And Joe Cullen did a good job game planning for this Buffalo Bills team. And I think what really, really helped him here, and this is not to knock Joe Cullen, and I want him to continue to flourish and um, I really, really like Joe Cullen, big fan of him. But I think what really helped him in terms of being able to mix things up a little bit, he mixed things up a little more. Um, I think the game plan was fluid. And I think what helped him was the whole aspect of the Buffalo Bills offensive line being down two starters. They had to start Cody Ford, who struggled, by the way, on that offensive line. And they also had to start, I think his name is Ike Boetter. Um, in, in the interior at a guard who also struggled as well. He was a guy, if I can recall, that was one of the guys that Taven Bryan was beating early and often. And I forgot to talk on him. Shout out to Taven Bryan for waking up and coming into this whole equation and getting two sacks, man. He just was a, a force to be reckoned with. Maybe his career turns around for the better. Uh, who who knows? You, you never know with Taven Bryan. But, like, hey, hopefully that is the game or this is the game that gets Taven Bryan uh, to turn it up a notch and play like the player we were hoping we were getting in the back of the first round when we took him. Uh, but, yeah, I think that's what really, really hurt the Bills here is just having those two backup offensive linemen um, in the game. And they are already a team that even when they're full 100% healthy on the offensive line, people have said, like, their offensive line is not their best unit. It's certainly not the worst unit out there. Uh, but it's the unit that needs upgrades. So when you get into your second and third string guys, as they have um, in this scenario, or as they had in this scenario, uh, you could take advantage of that. You know, you're looking at a lot of what arguably maybe fourth, fifth, sixth round undrafted guys in, in Cody Ford. I don't know their status in terms of where they were drafted and, and, and Ike Boetter. You're looking at two guys that, you know, have seen probably not necessarily a lot of time on the field. And, again, going back to what I was saying with Ben Bart, you need to see consistent time on the field to play at your best as an offensive lineman. And, uh, yeah, to me, like those guys, you know, they were in on some plays or they allowed some pressures and they allowed some sacks or whatever the case may be on Josh Allen that, you know, if they maybe had their starters there, maybe ordinarily weren't wouldn't have been there. But that really helped Joe Cullen, and he was able to do some things. You know, you saw a different mix of coverages. I know J.P. Acosta was breaking down the defensive schematics. He said he saw some Tampa 2 things in there. Of course, you saw some man-to-man in there. Uh, but Urban Meyer kind of talked on this himself. Uh, you know, 
with the bye period, they wanted to figure out like what would help this team the most in terms of defensive schematics because they looked so bad prior to the bye. And he kind of talked on this, if I can recall, after the um, game, and he was saying, you know, we used um, a little bit more zone or whatever the case may be. And I'm just paraphrasing him here than we did before. And, you know, that makes sense because, again, when you're in man, and he said this too, your your back is turned towards the quarterback, especially for the secondary guys. And they, the Jaguars don't seem to know how to, uh, you know, be able to have their back turned to the quarterback and, and also be able to make a play on the ball. And we kind of saw that as well with Josh Allen. You know, a lot of times in man coverage, he'll take it and run it himself, you know, and just take advantage of nobody looking at him, basically. Uh, so that that makes a, what Urban Meyer said makes a lot of sense. But overall, though, you know, aside from those plays, Josh Allen wasn't able, and I'm talking about the quarterback, Josh Allen wasn't able to throw the ball down the field like he wanted. Uh, he wasn't able to really hit anything aside from a lot of dink and dunk type of plays. You know, he oftentimes going to the running back in the middle, you know, your check down in the middle of the field that, you know, for five yards or whatever the case may be. If you're going to do that all game, the Jacksonville Jaguars will happily take that, which they did. The linebackers will come up and make the play there. Don't allow a lot of yards after the catch. Basically, is what that comes down to if you want to take that approach. And they just limited him to a lot of just a lot of plays he had to make with his feet or a lot of those plays where he just dumped the ball off to his uh, running back, who was the check down option, who, you know, sometimes could get yardage after the catch or for the most part wasn't able to break free for yardage after the catch. Now, of course, I don't think we should expect the Jacksonville Jaguars defense to play like this uh, continually, and more pieces are needed on that unit. But it it definitely is a building block moment, and it's definitely a momentum type of moment that they could take and build off of and um, hopefully look significantly better than they have in the past, especially in week one and especially in week eight against the Seahawks. You know, if they can look not necessarily – Again, they I don't think they'll necessarily look like they did against the Bills, but if they can look like a top 15 team somewhere in the middle, they can win some more games. You know, of course, the offense has to help them out, but that's a, that'll be enough is what I'm saying for the Jacksonville Jaguars to win about four to five games. So their total is two wins right now. So that's like three to two more games that they can win. Maybe if you're lucky, maybe four games, if they can be a mid-level defense with what they have. Uh, but eventually, of course, as I said, it's going to come down to, you know, down the road, Trent Baalke is going to have to bring in uh, some elite-tier Calais Campbell-like, Malik Jackson-like signings down the road uh, to get this defense where it needs to be in the future. Uh, but that's all I'll say on the defense. Overall, great effort. Overall, great team win, even though, again, the offense didn't really help. But overall, I mean, they, they were able to get the three field goals from Matt Wright. You know, they were able to get the ball up the field enough to allow him to win them the game with his legs. So they deserve a little bit of kudos as well. And Trevor Lawrence for uh, being gritty and gutting it out and coming uh, back in the game after an ankle sprain and all of that. So, you know, kudos to him as well, you know, even though he didn't have the best game, but just showing that toughness and showing that ability to be the face of the franchise in terms of grit, man. And, uh, yeah, this is a game we'll look on for many, many years to come. And, uh, you know, smile about 
and be happy about. And for the time being, it's also Urban Meyer's signature win. So, you know, we've been critical on him, but congratulations to him and Joe Cullen and that staff for getting it done against a very, very good Buffalo Bills team. Okay, so quickly what we'll do here, as I said, as I promised earlier in the podcast, is a new segment here, at least for the time being with me riding it solo, we'll do some good, bad, and ugly takeaways from the overall game against the Buffalo Bills. And of course, I mean, when you look at the good, I pretty much just mentioned it and went over it all in a nutshell in the last segment, uh, the defense, the Jacksonville Jaguars defense, they held the Buffalo Bills to under 72 rushing yards. Uh, which, you know, you, you kind of aren't surprised by that based off of how the defense is built. Uh, Buffalo Bills had under 230 passing yards as well. So overall, they combined for a yardage total of 301. And again, a lot of the havoc that was wrecked on that offensive line and a lot of havoc that was wrecked by the Jaguars defense came at the hands of Josh Allen. So the good is the, you know, the continual improvement of Josh Allen and the good is more so also uh, the better play out of the secondary, uh, the help they got from Rudy Ford and, you know, the plays they made, Shaq Griffin made plays as well. So that's the good is the secondary and the defense look better than we've ever seen them, better than we could have imagined uh, against a MVP caliber player. Now, again, I don't, we should expect this to continue to happen but with the buffalo bills offensive line situation and with also with the buffalo bills lacking weapons too aside from josh allen and Diggs, and also knox did not play their tight end dawson knox he was out uh with the injury but you know with them lacking weapons and the struggles of their offensive line and having you know second the third string guys in there. The Jacksonville Jaguars defense took advantage of that. And again, as I've said, let's hope that momentum continues against Carson Wentz, who he's have, you know, he's shown the tendency to struggle at times too. So, you know, maybe the Jacksonville Jaguars take that momentum over there and their defense uh, puts up another decent, at least performance, a top 15 type performance, as I was saying before, against Carson Wentz and helps the Jags to, uh, another win and that would be three on the season so we'll settle them in the defense as a whole as, as the good the bad to me I guess I will say the bad I I, I struggled with this I was going to go with Matthew Wright because he missed one field goal but at the same time they won the game because of Matthew Wright he got the, the nine points that the team uh put up and which was ultimately enough to win the game uh, but he did miss a field goal twice but they called them back because of penalties. I think it was twice or maybe three times. Um, and they all missed barely to the left. And, you know, you were thinking to yourself, I know I was at least like, uh, like it's just a slight correction that he needs to make to get the ball to go over to the right a little bit. And he never was able to make that correction or whatever the case may be. But you get that with young kickers. That's why you take, that's why I said you earlier in the year, you take a gamble with Matthew Wright uh, because he's a guy that's young and has upside and can improve from, you know, the mistakes he's making. Whereas Josh Lambeau, we've seen the best of Josh Lambeau. He had been on his second chance with a team. And, you know, maybe it was just a matter of Josh Lambeau just hit a wall or whatever the case may be. Although he did get an opportunity with the Pittsburgh Steelers practice squad, I think he's still there. And we hope that he has a good career. But I was going to go with Matthew Wright, but I couldn't do that because he essentially won the Jaguars the game. 
So I'm going to go with the penalties here. And albeit the Jaguars had under 10 and it had less than they had in the last game, which was 12. They looked terrible in the last game in terms of penalties. Uh, we still weren't all that uh, encouraged with the penalties they had. And we still had moments where we were pretty disappointed in what we were seeing on the field in, in terms of penalties. Now, it wasn't too many men on the field. So that's, you know, that avoids this from being in the ugly category. Uh, we saw a lot of that against the Seattle Seahawks. So they cleaned that up at least. And that's good. And again, that kind of goes back to what I was saying about, uh, you know, praise going to Joe Cullen and fixing some things and getting the team to play as they did uh, this Sunday against the Bills. But you're likely not going to beat the Colts at the, the the rate they're going, even with the eight penalties, because when you look at the penalties that they had, they were these kind of annoying, uh, the, these kind of annoying self-inflicted penalties. For example, LaVisca Chenault got a taunting penalty, uh, in I think that was the first play of the game. And, um, you know, you see technique-related stuff. Like, I think Jawan Taylor got a holding call. I think that might be his, like, fourth, the announcer said, of the year. Which, you know, that, like, at this point, that needs to be cleaned up in terms of, you know, his situation. There were some false start penalties in there. So, you know, those are kind of annoying and, and what have you. So, you know, it's a lot of the stuff that you probably more so need to get cleaned up in terms of in the trenches and with the offensive line more specifically uh, that will kill you against the Indianapolis Colts team, uh, especially if they're not getting penalized a lot. And that's what helped the Jags here. The Bills ended up with more penalties than the Jags in this game. But, you know, it it could have easily been the other way around. And if the Jaguars had more penalties in this game, they probably weren't going to win it. Uh, but the Bills had 12 for 118 yards in comparison to the Jags who had 8 for 54. So, you know, and I said this in one of my articles, the Bills are actually more penalized than the Jags. They came into this game more penalized than the Jags. And that kind of helped them. And uh, I was hoping it would, which it did. And, you know, uh, here we are. So, you know, get those little technique-related penalties and those um, those self-inflicted penalties that, that basically deal with concentration, like false start. They need to get those cleaned up and get that eight-penalty figure more along the lines closer to, like, five or six-ish uh, or, or maybe even less than that. Because uh, these are the type of things that will hurt you in divisional games and will hurt you when you're traveling, especially to an Indianapolis Colts team who I would have to do my research on them and see how heavily penalized they are. But they are going into a game after um, they are going to a game with Tony Corrente and his crew. And as you all know, Tony Corrente is the guy that made the controversial call on Cassius Marsh in the Pittsburgh Steelers in uh, their last game against the Bears, excuse me, Marsh plays for the Bears. Now, he used to play for the Steelers, too, uh, but he made the controversial call in that game. So the Jacksonville Jaguars need to be on their P's and Q's, especially avoiding the taunting as well. Like, they got another taunting penalty, as I mentioned, from LaVisca Chenault this time. Sean Jenkins and LaVisca Chenault be a little bit smarter. I know and I get it, the whole ordeal of, you know, players. And, and Ike Taylor talked about this should be able to celebrate after all of the time and effort and the work they put in on the field. And I get that. And I'm a hundred percent with that. You know, all they've been through these players deserve to, you know, express themselves in terms of when they make a play or whatever the case may be. But I think like you'll just be okay. If you just don't direct the taunting towards uh, your opposition is basically what, you know, like how I feel about it. Just, I mean, I'm cool with 
taunting the opposition too. If I was a referee, it wouldn't bother me, but these referees are going to call that. So that being said, just kind of if you want to if, if you want to ton and do all of that, direct it towards your teammates, celebrate with your teammates instead and, and you know, enjoy uh, whatever sacks you may get or turnovers you may get with your teammates. Just make sure, please, whatever the case may be, do not direct your action towards the opposition because we could be looking back at this game and saying, hey, oh, that taunting penalty was the one that lost us the game because sometimes this game or these games with the Colts come down to like little ticky tack stuff like that. And we don't want that. We don't want to lose a game because of a taunting penalty. Um, albeit, you know, the rules are a little ridiculous now. And I agree that they are. Uh, but while they're there, I guess, you know what I'm saying? To help your team out and not put your team in the hole. You just kind of have to go buy them. So it is what it is at this point, I guess. So, that will be the bad right there was the penalties. And then the ugly, of course, was the offensive performance. Okay, so overall, this offense total 218 yards. So, you know, that's not going to get it done. Typically, weren't able to get an end zone. A lot of plays were there to be made. Trevor Lawrence even talked about this. He missed the throw to Marvin Jones, even though he was heavily pressured. Uh, but when the quarterback says he can make a play, take his word for it. He felt like he can make that play. And it was another one that... I, th I think that he said that he felt like, you know, he left two plays um, on the field that he could have made. So take his word for it or take his word for it. Um, also, there was the Jamal Agnew drop, didn't use his hands exactly, tried to kind of like cradle it in or whatever the case may be. So um, there was that drop that would have been a touchdown from C.J. Bathard. You can't leave those kind of points on the field in terms of when you're facing a divisional rival, especially one you really, really need to get a win against. And one that it would put you at, what, three wins? And you might be in the hunt at that point. I think, like, four wins is what would put you in the hunt, I think. Uh, so you'll be close to being in the hunt. It's a it's a, a game that, you know, that they really do need to, to win. Now, we're not saying the Jags are going to the playoffs. Uh, but, you know, like, we would like to see, at this point, if they won two games, you probably want to see them get as close to six wins as possible. And this is a winnable game for them. And they can't have those drops that they've had. You know, LaVisca Chanel, I don't know how many drops he's had, but they can't have those as well. And they can't hurt themselves offensively. They have to make the plays that are there to be made. Carlos Hyde, by the way, also, if I can recall, even aside from the fumble, also had a drop too, if I can recall. Um, that would have been a first down. So those play, we got to make the plays, y'all. We have to make the plays, and if we do, this Indianapolis Colts team is a very beatable group. So I won't really get into them. Um, I kind of talked on them here and there throughout, you know, uh, the box score situation and the, the good, bad, and the ugly. So um, we'll get a guest on next week to talk about the San Francisco 49ers over there in Cali. Uh, that should be interesting. Wouldn't be surprised if me and Phil show up on the radio in Cali too as well or do some podcasts over there as well. So be on the lookout for that. Of course, you know, with the remainder of this week, it's Thursday right now with the remainder of this week. Uh, it'll be the usual you see on Jaguars Wire, which is behind enemy lines uh, with the Colts Wire. Shout-outs to Kevin Hickey. Shout-outs to my man Arden over there. As well, I think Arden's still with the Colts Wire. If not, I mean, shout outs to Arden anyway, because that's the homie. And, uh, you know, he's doing good work with the Foresight Podcast. Longtime Colts fan dating back to the Peyton Manny days. Uh, but we'll do some good, bad, and the ugly. I think I have Tyler currently. Excuse me, y'all. My stomach is growling. Y'all probably can hear that. It's time to eat. But um, I think I have Tyler doing three causes for concerns in terms of the game. So be on the lookout of that. 
Uh, we'll probably do some keys to victory in terms of on the site and getting that up um, around Saturday and Sunday. We'll probably do offensive, then defensive keys to victory. And, uh, yeah, that being said, um, you know, we'll have plenty of content on this Colts game, which, again, is a winnable one and should be exciting if the, we see the effort. And not, not, I don't want to say effort. It's not like the team has been going out there and not trying hard. But if we see uh, the ability that we saw this week against the Buffalo Bills, it could be interesting again. And the offense improves. And, look, man, all of a sudden we're talking about a three-win team that could maybe be a six-win team at the end of the season or even better. But that's a time-will-tell type of thing. So we're going to go ahead and bring this show to a close. You can follow me at SportsGrind underscore Dunn on Twitter. You can follow at Wire on Twitter. You can follow Phil at Phil the Filipino. Get well soon, Phil. Um, also, you can follow the podcast handle at Believe in Jazz Pod. So that being said, I am James Johnson. This is the Believe in Jazz Podcast. And as always, we believe. Do you? Everybody have a good rest of their day. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.